Hey there, it's Flobo Boys, one half of the NXT UK and NXT Recap Tag Team Champions of the World. This is Draped in Gold, and I want to say thank you so much for checking out the podcast and sharing with your friends and even watching the show live on YouTube or Twitch or whatever you watch the show. This is a special presentation. I went off on my own, took the beaten path, and I gathered up some of my wrestling colleagues I don't usually get to work with for this 30-year retrospective of the career of one of the greatest superstars of all time, The Undertaker. I hope you guys enjoy it. And if you guys want to see more retrospectives of legends, let us know. DrapedInGold.com, NewAmsterdam.com. That's K-N-E-W-Amsterdam.com to learn more about Draped in Gold and other content we're doing. Well, without further ado, the 30-year retrospective, the tribute to the dead man. Hey everyone, Flobo Boys here, and today we're doing something special. 30 years was the career of The Undertaker until he had his last match ever. That's a topic we're going to talk about, but we're all going to talk about before that is how much of an icon that individual was to the sport, art, and science of professional wrestling, but I am not alone. I want to introduce my all-star panel as we look back into 30, that's three decades of The Undertaker. Introducing first, she's a lifelong professional wrestling fan and a fan of The Undertaker, Candace Mack. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> so glad you're part of the festivities. Uh, and also, we can't for, we can't do this without the resident wrestling genius, George Ramosa. How you doing, sir? Oh, wow. That's, I'm, a, uh, I'm a genius. That's you're awesome. You're a genius, man. You're an intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, he is the American badass. Give it up for Josh Alonzo. What's going on? More like the Boyle Heights badass. I'm looking like a cholo over here. <laughs> Either way, I won't take the last ride, man. Uh, I, I don't know about you guys, but Survivor Series kind of rolled up on me, man. It kind of came fast this year. Yeah. But, yeah. but they're, t they're telling me it's 30 years of The Undertaker. And one, I feel really old because I remember when he debuted. <laughs> Why? <laughs> and, and, and two, uh, I mean, this this guy, this man, Mark Callis has done, or Mark Calloway has done so much in not so much the, the in-ring stuff, but the character stuff, the locker room leader stuff. Just let's go around the room. Let's talk about um, general impressions of what the character means to you. Start with you, Candice. I mean, The Undertaker, the first time you hear that word, what do you think about? Ooh, icon, legend. I mean, there's so many words that goes through your head when you hear that word. I would just say great presence. Yeah. Just the way he carried that character, the storyline, the matches, which we're going to talk about, the way that he, you might as well say, he also kind of helped change pro wrestling a little bit, if you want to go there in the structure. Bold claim, but true. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> come on now. Like, but let's think about some of the matches. I mean, casket matches. We had, you know... The, the fire match. I mean, just again, great presence in and out the ring. Sure, sure, I, I agree with you, Josh. I mean, dude, you're the American badass right now. I mean, I that was right a now. very, very sliced, <laughs> sliced out part of his career. And and I, I would think we'll get to it in a little bit, but I would think that that was actually one of my favorite eras of the Undertaker. What does it mean to you, man? That's means... actually the era that I got into wrestling. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm more than sure I'm the youngest of the crowd right now. So thanks, appreciate was... it. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you. 
<laughs> Sorry about that. But when nice. I was a kid, uh, like I started watching wrestling at around 99, so I was like seven years old at the time. And that was like pretty much at the beginning of more or less of the American Badass gimmick right there. And so nice. that's where I kind of fell in line with that. And that's where I became a fan of his because of that. Now, a lot of people might not look at that as the greatest Undertaker period, but I hold that in just a sentimental note because that's when I got into pro wrestling and that's when I really got into the undertaker as well. And that's where I liked him as a character. And we saw him pretty much evolve from there and a kind of deep, like evolve into his previous gimmick and added little hints of the American badass gimmick. And so it definitely holds a lot of reverence to that where people still hold his character and him as a person in such a high regard over these years. Quick follow-up question, Josh. Do you consider, do you split American Badass and Big Evil or do you combine them? As you say, right? I would combine them. They're more or less kind of just like melding into one. So he kind of went for a biker gimmick and then he went to a biker gimmick kind of 10 times more eviler. So more or less just like a, best way I can describe it is just these outlaw motorcycle gangs and just to really taking that <laughs> notch of just like outlawness and just really just smacking it into people, you know? He's like, I'm not evil enough. That's crazy. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, George, what do you think, man? Oh man, it's one of one of the best. Like it's just, I still kind of get goosebumps just knowing that, uh, you know, whenever I watch back stuff on the network, it just, and even now, like knowing that there's a possibility that he might do maybe one more match, whether it's Boneyard or whatever. But it just like we all want it. But I mean, I'm at peace if he if he really is retired. But either way, he's like, even if he just so, shows up to say hello, like that dong, like just constantly just giving me goosebumps on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah, it's a mm-hmm. rock star status. Now, there are rumors about another match in the can, but as of right now, the Boneyard match is the last match the Undertaker does. If you consider it a match, I do. There's some wrestling purists who are like, there was no turnbuckles, it doesn't count. But I do. Uh, and plus, it was coupled with the last ride documentary. George Ramos, let me ask you this. Was AJ Styles the right guy, and was this the right match, if this were to be the last match, like you said, if he were to walk away? I'm going to say No. Uh, and this isn't taking anything away from the actual Boneyard match. It was amazing. It was fantastic. But just what we know about The Undertaker, we always think about guys like Kane or, or something to that extent. And for years, ever even since WrestleMania 31 in San Jose, we all wanted him to kind of pass the torch. And there is no better guy right now to pass the torch to than a Bray Wyatt. So I would have liked for not not to say that he had to you know lose or, or go out on his back, but just a, a, a crazy transition of just here's the guy the legend now let's see what you can do with you know the dark side i guess you can say and we, we've kind of seen that with bray wyatt so i would love to have had like a kind of infuse a fusion of boneyard and firefly funhouse roll into one to kind of cap off the especially with the way the firefly funhouse was for a john cena where we kind of saw a career retrospective i would have liked to have seen that for the undertaker at least to see what kind of creativity they could have done with it being if it was his last match against Bray Wyatt in Ireland House. Yeah, uh, Candice, you were yeah. nodding when he said Bray. Do you agree with that? I agree with that because you, you think about it right now for this era, Bray Wyatt is he the creative gimmick is what's selling the character, and he is a good wrestler. I agree. I would have loved to seen that. And if, you know, who knows, next year, maybe WrestleMania. Yeah, Just with saying. people. With people. Yeah. With, yeah, right? With people, because if you think about it, I mean, like you said, to pass the torch, nothing against AJ Styles. That was a great technical match. That was great. That was fantastic. But it just felt, it just felt weird. It just, I don't, I, I can't really explain it because 
it would have been more suitable like AJ versus Cena. Right. Bray Wyatt and Undertaker. Now that's the money. That yeah. is the money because you have two two wrestlers whose gimmick works in this situ in this in that situation. Like you said, the C uh, you know, bone boneyard match, firefly retrospect of what the Undertaker could have, should have, would have been, and also have you know Bray Wyatt face his his demon, his fears of gone, being gone, buried alive, yeah, set on fire. I, I, I'm not opposed to the idea, but but Josh, what I liked about the boneyard match though was it was it was every version of the Undertaker at once, right? He kind of yeah. physically looked the American badass, mm-hmm. but his move set was classic. He had a little of the uh, the pacing of the 1990 debut Taker. Uh, my takeaway was of a very weird year and a very weird WrestleMania. It stuck out as one of the top matches of that weekend. Yeah, yeah, and then interesting point when you said it kind of mixed personalities to it. If if we think back to what the documentary said, even he said it himself. It was just mixing of three personalities, the mixing of the original Undertaker gimmick, the American badass, and himself as well. So you're mix, mixing three of those personalities together to really get like the pinnacle Undertaker. I guess if we could say the ultimate Undertaker in a sense for that match, yeah, because it got yeah. because there were some points in the promos if we all remember that it got really personal between back and forth in some of the promo work. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have to include that aspect of Mark Calloway, the person himself. I mean, pretty, I'm pretty sure if some regular schmo would walk up to his wife and start talking all that mess, you know, you're going to get a fist from me and Mark right there. So, right, right. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to add too, just because what we saw with Bray Wyatt, uh, pretty much the match that we saw this year at WrestleMania was kind of, you know, the genesis of that was WrestleMania 30. So I would have liked to have kind of Bray kind of gone year by year to get kind of his his payback wins. We saw Cena. So now I would have liked to have kind of seen, well, the following year at Mania, he faced Undertaker. He lost. Now it's time to get that win back. Yeah. Yeah. So taking a step back, though, the, the Undertaker is synonymous with a lot of things. But WrestleMania is one of them, right? And the streak was a big part of that. Not saying anything no one's ever said before. Uh, with the streak broken, I do think the, the Boneyard match was one of the bigger ones post-streak. But you can't deny how long that streak sold tickets on its own. Yeah. He was an attraction. Uh, let yes. me start with, start with you, Josh, this time. The WrestleMania streak, at what point was it for you where you were like, okay, this guy's going to deliver each and every single year? Were there any opponents he had that stuck out for you? Any matches that stuck out for you? I think the opponent that really stuck out to me, kind of in retrospect, makes sense as someone that's legitimate that could beat him. Well, actually two, if you think about it, is uh, Batista and CM Punk. Batista, we all know him as a powerhouse. You know, he has that strong set type of moveset and everything that could rival The Undertaker. And, of course, The Undertaker beat him out. And then you have someone like CM Punk who was red hot that year and really on his way to becoming even more of a superstar, I think, in my opinion, even bigger than Stone Cold Steve Austin. And so him losing that match, it didn't really hurt him at that point, but I felt like if CM Punk were to win that match against The Undertaker at that WrestleMania, I would have been upset about it. I mean, obviously it was kind of a shock when Brock Lesnar won against uh, The Undertaker at WrestleMania 30, but if it would have happened earlier with CM Punk, I wouldn't have a problem with it, to be honest. Yes, why are you side-eyeing Josh? What was with the side-eye? Why? No, because it still, it still hurts. It still hurts. <laughs> About Brock Lesnar being the one to end the streak, and it just thing. I don't give up. <laughs> I don't give up. I never gave up. No, it's just 
that was you know and I, I you know i watch soap operas for those who don't know and i do a soap opera audio soap opera so to me it's like okay when is the happy the fairy tale going to end that was kind of how you know with the streak it was like wrestlemania you think wrestlemania you think streak and it's like okay who's going to be the one who's going to be that person that guy to actually beat the Undertaker and end the streak. Who's going to go down in history? But I'm going to tell you, every year when he comes through those curtains, and first and foremost, the entrance, that's award winning right there. It's like, okay, <laughs> it's WrestleMania. Okay, let's see the entrance. I don't care about anything else right now. Like, okay, here we go. Yeah. But I, I just, oh, God, when Brock let, oh. It's what? like I don't know I don't know about you guys, but that like hurt me. That hurt my heart. That hurt my soul. I felt like I was in the I was at the stadium when all that happened. I cried. I I I really cried for like a whole hour. I was like, no, no, no. I was Wait, like, before was, get to my recount about the Brock Lesnar match. Was there a match, a uh, WrestleMania match that that you you dug and a favorite opponent for the Undertaker in the Street Gears? Ooh, I mean Triple H. That uh, the the which one? the, which, the which, first which, one the 17? first one yeah seventeen I think that was because you know here's the here's the thing the Undertaker's faced everybody pretty much but there was just something That's, uh, about this so, well it's up a couple of people <laughs> <laughs> I mean I mean with Triple H though it was just again two legends two future Hall of Famers we all know this going at it and doing a little old school if you think about it i mean it wasn't a lot of you know nowadays with all these wrestlers is about the gimmicks it's about gimmicks and not the technical wrestling of it all and to me when i saw this match i was like okay paul mark okay let's go let's see let's see what you got and it it was just it was a really good solid match that could have went either way but that was one of my favorite matches. The other, hmm, is there another person that could have? Not Goldberg. Hell no. Let me let me ask you this, George, because you know you have the encyclopedic knowledge of professional wrestling. WrestleMania streak for the Undertaker. Any opponents you liked? Any ones that disappointed you? Any ones that had inklings of being better? The Nathan Jones here does not count. That was a total different thing. But just on your side of the thing. Let me just start off by saying I think one of the mis biggest misconceptions is, you know, the streak. The streak was broken. And, I'm, and thank you for having me because I want to be able to say this on a public platform. Please. The streak was never broken. He still won 21 straight WrestleMania matches. Like, yes, his, unde his undefeated record ended, but the streak still exists because the, it, it didn't go away. Like the Heat won like 30, 30 games like six years ago. That 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 streak is still there. Undertaker still won twenty one straight WrestleManias. So the streak again. I'm going on record. The streak has never been broken. But how in the world has nobody mentioned the greatest match of all time? Not oh, of God. WrestleMania. Not of the last twenty years. Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels. WrestleMania twenty five or shall I say the twenty fifth and the twenty fifth anniversary of WrestleMania. Yeah whatever they yeah. want to call it, yeah. but that is hands down 
the greatest match I've ever seen. Their following okay. year was a fantastic match, and it's it's still to me like that's a match that everybody should watch if anybody wants to strive to be a wrestler because those two you couldn't have had a better match between literally two mm-hmm. of the biggest superstars in the history of professional wrestling. I I agree with you. I'm partial 26 because I saw that one live. But those two matches back to back with a perfect like. Hey, not to brag. I mean, I'm just saying. Every WrestleMania fan has to be that pilgrimage. That was a little brag right there. That was <laughs> no. I'm I feel just... I feel so as a brag. No, that I'm was a brag. That... I think that was a brag. I mean, I, mean, I was at, I was at 31, but I didn't say anything. I'm just look, man. Off what I'm saying is, you know, I know Goodfellas is a better movie than Casino. I like Casino more. I know 25th, well, the 20th anniversary is a better match. I just prefer 26. I'm just by the boo. You know what? Forget you guys. Uh, <laughs> but no, but George made a good point. I mean, the 21 and one is 21 yeah. and uh, 21 and oh, going into that was one, a big deal. It won't ever be replicated. Yeah. No one has a tenure anymore yeah. in wrestling to begin with to get the WrestleMania spots, and that's kind of one of the major highlights, even besides championships, which Undertaker has won many of them. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. So, so like w- with the 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 WrestleMania like. Uh, fanfare of him being attraction. One of the things that gets overlooked, though, is that every WrestleMania, you do get a little bit of a snapshot of the different personas Taker has brought into the ring. Not classic, but everything past that. We're talking about the late 90s, Titanic Taker, the one that kidnapped Stephanie. You got a couple of American badass years and all that. Uh, George, let me ask you this, man. Do you have a favorite era of The Undertaker? And if so, why? I, I really like the the fusion of what he did with all the characters like in 06 because he was from like 06 to 09 like that undertaker was like putting on some of the best matches whether it was with against uh batista in 07 uh 08 against edge 09 obviously i mentioned Shawn michaels but even outside of wrestlemania he was putting some good matches with kurt angle no way out 2006 that match yeah. was fantastic yeah. and and that was, and I was sometimes saying, like, oh, that's because of Kurt Angle. Uh, uh-uh. uh, it was, and I'm not, I'm not giving, taking anything away from Angle, but that was all Taker and Angle, like, just to be able to, and that was Taker kind of showing his, like, hey, I'm still a dead man, but I'm still gonna bust out some MMA moves, you know, that finish with him giving uh, Angle that Hell's Gate finisher, yeah. and then Angle kind of flipping yeah. over to the, yeah, flipping over good. to that, flipping over to that oh. pin, like, yeah, it's just that match. I, I put that match on one of the best non-Shawn Michaels matches of all time in terms of Undertaker. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. So the that same era, you guys think it's the strongest era of Taker's career? That I would say yeah, because he really showed, like George said, he showed sick. aspects of like different movesets and everything. He was still doing this old school flashy stuff, but he was always showing off his pedigree in jiu-jitsu, which he also has a black belt in. So it's really mm-hmm. cool to see like all these melting like little yep. flavors of the thing into a big melting pot, and there you have that really just like super taker type of thing where he's just putting on like match of the year candidates like for those three consecutive years is that mm-hmm. fair though right I- i've heard that it's supposed to be like when you play a character like look at taker 1.0 very mm-hmm. very linear very very standard move set right and that's the kind of character he has i mean and you look at AEW with matt hardy how he gets to take some parts of his character and past teaches it granted the lesser result i'm not comparing matt hardy to Taker. <laughs> but, but what i'm saying is is that a little like unfair though to say that era is the best if he's like playing as the all-star team as himself i mean hmm <laughs> i'm sorry I I mean, I, and just to, just to kind of throw out there i am a big fan of when he first turned babyface uh, in 92, 
Um, cause then we got to see another side of Undertaker where we, we just kind of knew him as the dead man being managed by Paul Bearer, but then we got to see a little bit more as far as like his match with Jake or Kamala, or even as much as I hate saying it, like even kind of giant Gonzalez, where as bad as those matches were, we got to kind of see the Undertaker kind of be a little bit of an underdog because he's going up against a guy who's like twice his size. So yeah. I, I I put that yeah. era maybe like a second best as far as okay. the best, yeah. and that was that was when I really really became a fan of his. I'll accept yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, so, they so made like, him human a little bit. They made him a little bit more human humanized with those matches, with him being with John Gonzalez. Because when we saw John Gonzalez, me as a little kid, I was like, oh, he's going to destroy the Undertaker. Oh mm-hmm. no, the Undertaker's going to lose all these matches, and then. To see, you know, which one was it? Was it SummerSlam or WrestleMania? I think it was SummerSlam. I want to say WrestleMania. They, they, had, they had matches at both of them. It was nine and SummerSlam yeah. '93. They they had best uh, both matches against Giant Gonzalez. Yeah, I knew that. So to me, yeah. So to me, when he, when the core form, when he was core formed and everything, and I was like, they took out the Undertaker. Keep in mind, I was a kid. So I didn't know. I was, was like, what the heck? And then, like you said, he was the underdog in that match. For him to come and, you know, avenge himself and win, that's when I was like, oh, okay, this is an interesting character. We now went from the character, like just a character to, oh, this is an interesting character with an interesting storyline who is human a little bit. Sure. If yeah, that makes I, sense. <laughs> I mean, this came, this came after. But but for me, as a kid, it really was the, the mirror match the Taker versus Taker match, where I realized, okay, it's very easy to yeah. plod and wear the hat and go, I'm Taker, but that other guy is clearly not the Undertaker. <laughs> Even Kidney was like, wait a minute, you know? But but seeing that poster with the, with the shattered glass of, of, of uh, um, which Brian was it? George, help me out here. Um, uh, Primetime Brian Lee? Or what? Brian Lee, that's right. Yeah. Go, going, chains, oh my God. chains. I can't believe it. It was just like, oh, that to me was like, okay, now it's about nuance, right? Because nuance is something that you all have to learn as performers, but wrestlers don't really get that kind of luxury, especially back then in the mid-90s where they had the occupational gimmicks and young Flo Pito loved Duke the Jumpers Drozzy because Dude, he was too. so strong that <laughs> he had a job and wrestled on the weekends, you know? And, and that's one of the cool things about that. But but before WrestleMania, though, Taker was really synonymous with Survivor Series, 1990. No tattoos at all being this absolute monster and in the documentary the last ride he said people thought i was actually dead josh alonso i know this is before your time slightly but going back to the archives man what was your impression seeing the debut era of taker well i would imagine that if i were a kid during the time where he debuted i would have thought that was the scariest thing i've ever seen (laughs) <laughs> when I first see it, like, retrospectively and everything, it's a bit, a little bit hocus-pocus, but I'm more than sure when, if you were there live and you saw this gargantuan of a man just looking just pale and ghastly, you would probably poop your pants if you were to see that, because you, like, I don't think there has been a character at that point, or ha- maybe some sense, that has really replicated that fear and that aspect of just, like, holy heck who the hell who the hell is this who the hell is this dude like is he an actual zombie or is he just like where did he come from and so you know looking back at it i think it was really cool and 
you know, I would have loved to have been the fly on the wall to see him actually debut. So if there's a time machine somewhere that someone's working on, let me be the first to try that out. Let me go back. <laughs> I won't save the environment. I'll go back to 1990. You guys are making me feel really old. Okay. Thank you. I just want to let you know that. Thank you. You're welcome, Kenneth. Because <laughs> I remember the day he, he appeared at some, some Robin series. Where, where I remember the. I was watching it with my family. We were watching it on pay per view. Okay. And because my family, my family is such a rustling group of craziness of, of people. And we was watching it. And I can even tell you what I was eating. I was eating popcorn. And all of a sudden, it was the, you know, the match, you know, I'm setting it up. And Ted DB obviously is like, let me introduce you. And we all seen the clip. And all of a sudden, I'm like, like, I'm a kid. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm like, is he like, you guys said, is he dead? Because I didn't, I heard the funeral music. I saw Brother Love. And I was like, who the mess is this person? I'm like, and I'm right. here. I mean, it chills. Like, I couldn't even sleep that night. I had to sleep with the light on. <laughs> I was like, I was wow. scared. I didn't know what was going on. But yeah. he, yeah, I mean, let me just tell you, let me see, that was 1990. So I was like, what, eight? Yeah, I was eight okay. years old. Dang, that made me sound really. Yeah, so eight year old Candace was freaking out because I didn't understand. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was just it was like you said, chills. The I mean, it just played every beat. You had him slowly walking like he was not of the living. You had black and gray, which to me meant dead, death. You had just this silence. It was just like not the whole if it was ultimate water, like <gasps> yeah, it was yeah. just like who, who, who is this guy? Wait, wait, what's going on here? Like, wow, he's tall. Wow, he's big. <laughs> oh, he's about to hurt somebody. Like, okay. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's that's the best recount I've ever heard of. He's going to hurt somebody. And even though DiBiase was involved in his debut, George, you know, when people think of Undertaker, Paul Bearer gets mentioned. Some would argue one of the greatest managers of all time. Definitely in that conversation. You're not be the best, but in that conversation. Let's talk about the lore. So we all know he's good in the ring and there's a streak and all these different personas. When people think about the character and the story of The Undertaker, usually Paul Bearer's involved. I mean, Kane got a nice run of a career out of being a palette swap originally of this Undertaker character. What's that say about the resonance of something like that? How does Paul Bearer work for you as a fan of the wrestling arts and sciences? Lay it on me. It's, it's crazy because like at the time, and I'm, I've always been a fan. I don't, I don't sit there and try to pick apart everything as far as pro wrestling goes. But I remember hearing a lot of chatter that, like, it was like, oh, this is silly. This is stupid. Oh, what happened to pro wrestling? But it's like when you really try to engulf yourself in the land of pro wrestling where, you know, you try to kind of, again, try to try to interest, intersperse yourself. It's like, okay, this is actually kind of genius. You know, it's like you have Kane who pretty much had yeah. a 20-year-plus career. Now he's like a mayor because of that storyline of the Undertaker's brother, you know, and even added on where like Paul Bearer was the dad of Kane, and like I don't know, it just I just thought it was genius looking back. I liked it at the time. I was I remember when like Paul Bearer came out was like, oh, I have a secret to tell everyone. Yo, you, you, 
house, you know, and then the whole like, Kate is alive, Kate is alive, and then yeah, just yeah, it, it just it just it just goes to show you just like how much depth this character really had, and that they feel like that that was the time where he kind of was able to open up a little bit, you know, because it was all dead man, it was all you know eyes, you know, whatever the whatever they does when they behind the back of his head, and it was really that was like you know what. I have a family, and it really added all these extra layers to that character. Question, follow question for you, George, real quick. What I feel like those kind of time to develop characters doesn't happen a lot more these days. Now, they, they, the the reason I have in my head is that it's just so much wrestling, and it's hard to develop things when you have thirteen pay per views a year. But has there been a fundamental change in character development here? Yes, but I don't think it's a WWE's fault. I think it's an audience's fault. Uh, we, and I say we because I'm included as well, are very short-term based, where it's like, we want everything now. We, you know, it's like no longer are the days where we can plan a year ahead and, you know, plan a match out that far ahead. It's all, what can you do for me now? Uh, I think, and I don't want to get negative, but I think wrestling fans are kind of spoiled a little bit because oh, we, we get, are. yeah, we, we get so much of, of what, what we want. Yet we're not willing. To, we we, yeah. we and I, I say we because I'm including myself because I don't want to single anyone out. But we want everything, but we want we're we're not willing to wait for it. So yeah. I think that's not that's not the WWE's fault because I'm sure if it's up to them, I'm sure they would like to have a long term structure as far as not being able to you know do, change things on the fly. Gotcha, Josh. I gotta ask you, man. You just seeing the the excess parts of the Ithaca character. I mean, by the time mm. you got into wrestling week to week, there was the, the Ministry of Darkness, the, mm. the the corporate ministry too. I watched that episode of SmackDown. Uh, having such characters to, to live off the, the heat, live off the aura of Undertaker and have careers themselves must be pretty rad. I mean, no one was clamoring for Midian before. No. <laughs> you know? Not or, even naked Midian. <laughs> Well, I mean, what's to say about, about the about the power of that character in that era, in the late Attitude Era period? I mean, it's just a testament to how he was as a performer. Like, who who himself is dedicated to perform a character, stay in character, stay away from the light and everything for over 30 years, including with the latter end of it with the rise of social media and everything. It is super hard, especially for a lot of wrestlers nowadays, to really have a private life because, you know, it's always information on their phone right there. And so... It's really hard to dictate the character and the wrestler now because you can portray yourself as one way on TV, but then once social media happens, it's a total 180 flip right there. But with yeah. someone like The Undertaker, who has consistently, even mentioned in a documentary as well, that he was able to live out his character day in and day out, wearing from black clothes almost every day and just really not saying much in interviews and just staying just total lip tight. I mean... I can only imagine how hard it is for a person like that, especially for over a long period of time like that, because you really want to have ideas and just like how to portray yourself, personality through a, through a character. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a really big testament, especially nowadays, because I really don't think that if so, if the character of the Undertaker were to debut now, I don't think it would have that much strength and resonance as it did when it first debuted in 1990. Ooh, good point. Yeah. So, Candace, you know, in the, the last year or so, we see Mark Calloway a lot more. I mean, as this is being recorded this week, he's going to be on the Hot Chicken Show Hot Ones. 
eating uh, hot wings on a camera. Like, I couldn't imagine that happening two, three, five years no. ago, you know, with, with the mm-hmm. advent of no. K-Fabe. Just as someone who was a fan, you were there day one. You were there night one, Candace. I mean, how are you uh, like, taking, taking in this stripped down characters in the corner of my closet version of Mark Calloway? Is it okay? Has he earned it? Is it kind of odd he's waiting so late? What was your take when you started doing the interview circuit? It definitely was weird because, again, you have that image of the undertaker, a man who does not really go out in the daytime or, you know, does the Jimmy Fallon show or any of that kind of thing. He was just this solid character who just kept himself and kept true to his storyline and his character. Then again, you know, like all all things, we all have to grow up. And I think, you know, as, you know, from being with him from day one to now, he definitely has earned it. He definitely has earned to have his life be sort of, not front, but for us to get a glimpse of his personal life. And I think we kind of start seeing that when he has Sarah on his neck, when he tattooed Sarah's name. You know, and when Sarah came, you know, when that whole, whole thing happened, that we started seeing a little bit of Mark and the Undertaker's lives fuse. So with that being said, I mean, the man has been in this industry longer than, I mean, obviously it's the Undertaker for 30 years, but he's been in this industry for a long time. He truly deserves a life. And for us fans, I mean, look, again, social media play is a big part. We all know what's going on behind closed doors. Sure. If it wasn't for social media, then we would be like, hmm, yeah. <laughs> interesting. So he's uh, definitely earned it. Sorry to cut you off there. Uh, but about the same question on the lines, George, before I get to our lightning round here, what does it matter? No, no, I was just getting, I was just getting misty eyed. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great. Uh, I, I was saying, does it matter though when you see the the man just mm-hmm. on his farm in Texas with his fan with his family being so different than being you know portrayed as the undead? So, so I mean, I, I know we all are, but I mean, we, we're all diehard wrestling fans, and as diehard wrestling fans, we we like it when they keep the mystique of anything, right? And so, yeah, when, when he, I remember, uh, I think it was Mick Foley's uh, Hall of Fame speech. He was like, you know, he was like, kept going on. I was like, I'm very, man, it, there's one thing that I would never have anybody do. I never want to see The Undertaker tweet. And, it, you know, it got a laugh. This is 2013. Um, and I was like, he's right, you know? And then before you know it, he's got an Instagram. Like, Undertaker has an Instagram account? Jesus Christ, you know? Um, so, so, but again, like, like, like Candace said, he deserves whatever he wants to do, right? If he wants to put it out there, that's on him. But as a fan, like, I do kind of wish it was still a little mysterious. You know, I don't get me wrong. I enjoy anything behind the scenes about The Undertaker, but it's 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 like sorry if any any kids are watching, but it's like it's like seeing the mall Santa, you know? It's like seeing him yeah. outside on a cigarette. I thought break, you were know? doing something very like dirty. <laughs> the mall Santa. Oh, sorry, kids. Yeah. You know, it's seeing the seeing the Easter Bunny with this hat off or with this you know yeah. the, the thing off without you know drinking a beer on on his break. You know, it just yeah. We oh. still believe. We still love it. We still we're still going to take a picture with Santa every year. But man, like I kind of wish I didn't see that a little bit, you know. It's kind of like seeing a magic trick and how it's done. Once that illusion is gone, you're just like, okay, it kind of just kind of takes that 
yeah. entertainment aspect of it, you know. But I still watch it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a yeah. problem. Seeing him on Sports Center. Wow. Seeing him no, I think the one time when my cousin, she was she was here and she she loves the Undertaker too. She's kind of just getting into it with the Undertaker. I'm schooling her. Um, you're welcome, America. Um, but <laughs> we was watching ESPN college football Saturday. It was college football Saturday, and they said we have the Undertaker. And I was like, and she was mm-hmm. like, the Undertaker likes football? And I was like, this is a joke. This is not. And all of a sudden, I hear the music and I see him wearing um, Texas. Um, it was a Texas jersey. And I was like, wow, okay. I This is, I'm still adjusting to seeing Mark, the person. And not the, you know, I'm hearing the music. Like, done take him like, oh, sure, he's about to come out. Like, with yeah. the corpse or something. And I was just like, he's talking about football. Like, he knows about... I mean, I, I, I knew he knew, but it's just... Like, oh, okay, like, this is this is a whole new reality. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's from Texas. Uh, a couple of rapid-fire yeah. questions for you guys. Um, just, you know, give me your thoughts real quick. Um, in your opinion... The Brothers of Destruction, overrated, underrated, or just right? Overrated. Okay. I would say overrated as well, especially at the latter years and especially that last matchup with uh, Triple H. Saudi is non-canon. No, Saudi Arabia is non-canon. I mean, I'm sorry. (laughs) If if, if I remember it in my head, it's super canon. (laughs) If the sun is still out, which is the main event, it does not Oh, man. (laughs) <laughs> overrated overrated wow okay um in your opinion who is the undertaker's greatest rival or his greatest rivalry kane that's gotta be that's gotta be that's gotta be, that's gotta be kane him yeah. that that and mankind a close second okay i would say because of the storyline and everything i would say Shawn michaels won and then another one would be Brock Lesnar because, you know, when you have two just big hosses just tearing it into each other, I mean, just, you know, look at those two Hell in a Cell matches that they had. I mean, just absolutely brutal and just, oof, my goodness. So I would say those are two definitely two big rivalries for me. Ah. <laughs> Kane, Kane and Shawn Michael. Kane yeah, and Shawn Kane Michael. And, and I'm going to – Yeah. Um, in your opinion, what is your favorite non-WrestleMania Undertaker match? I mean, there's only one answer. What's that? I have one. It's not the one that you're thinking of. What? It's not King of the Ring 98? Oh, yeah. Mm. That's good one. <laughs> well, I've been changed the course of wrestling history. I thought I'm yeah. off the top it, it, of the it, it, Oh, yeah. It only, you know, just I changed my answer. I'm, I'm revolutionized. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, for no. me, yeah. it would have to be Monday Night Raw 2002. Forget the next Jeff Monday Hardy? Day. Jeff July Hardy's ladder match. The yeah, July, there you July, go. July yeah. 2002. Oh, that's yeah. A, that's a Absolutely. Yeah. Such a barn burner of a main event right there. And for him to put over Jeff Hardy in the match right there is just absolutely amazing. All right. You know what? Those are better, better answers than what I put down. Candice, what do you think? <laughs> Save me. Right. <laughs> um, I'm going to say this was sort of a passing the torch. Uh, not 
but you know, but Randy Orton versus The Undertaker. Mm. Uh, okay. I yeah, Sorry. I thought that was a really good. I like the story. Well, here's the thing: the WrestleMania, the for WrestleMania, the storyline with that, you know, I just thought that was genius of Randy Orton trying to be the man. SummerSlam, him winning over like do you understand how big that was for randy orton fans i'm sorry yeah but it was just like because SummerSlam was always a 50 50 event for the undertaker to win sure and you know um so that was that was a that was a good match dang no yeah, that's the one that, that just popped up right now. That one. I, I had two. I had a fully loaded 2000 uh, taker. Kurt Angle. And uh, SummerSlam for 2015. The Brock Lesnar yeah. match there. That was, that was my two favorites. Yeah. I yeah. like your answers yeah. too. Uh, the one that got away, the one feud you would like to see, and to make it more difficult, you can't pick Sting because Sting is like the one everyone says. Yeah. Um, I think a really good one because I know there was a whole story behind it, especially at that time where, uh, you know, TNA was getting some heat a little bit, um, would have been Abyss. I think that would have been a cool match to see it just like two, just like, I guess, Supernatural. Obviously, one's more of a psychopath. The other one's The Undertaker. And so I think that would have been a really cool, entertaining match to see Abyss from TNA against The Undertaker at a WrestleMania. That would have been a cool one. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, somebody that I never thought I would say on on camera. I never thought I, I I would ever this would ever get brought up because you said what's the one that you know I thought I think would have uh, should have happened. I'm gonna say Mordecai. Mm. And, and I know I know I know it didn't really work out that well with Mordecai in 2004. But when you yeah. see Mordecai, he's all white, white hair, white beard, all white. He was like on on a poster board. It looked, I would have loved to seen just kind of the yin and the yang between Undertaker and Mordecai, just, you know, north, south, east, west, just the complete opposite of each other. So I would have liked for them to kind of dive a little bit deeper into that where you have Undertaker and everything that Undertaker is not, it's Mordecai. Everything that Mordecai is not is the Undertaker. Yeah. I, that poster would have sold millions, but oh, yeah. Mordecai showed up on SmackDown. Yeah, Mordecai. Like, I remember his mm-hmm. debut pay-per-view match. Uh, it was Judgment Day 2003? 2004. Uh, 2004. From the Staples Center in Los Angeles. That yeah, I was him against uh, Scotty Tuhati. That was just a <laughs> squash match, if you can ever see a squash match live. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine a, a squished match. No, I actually don't have an answer here. I really felt like I'm content with his career. And I know that you can play that game all you want. Because my buddy and I were talking about Eddie Guerrero. If he had the long back-and-forth feud that Kurt Angle had with Taker, how cool that would be. But I'm like, that's a icing on the cake. That's house money. What we got, what little we got, I am totally content with. Mm. Um, and my final question for you guys, if you can rank uh, the top three finishing moves of The Undertaker, because the different eras that combine them, you're talking about the Hell's Gate, you're talking about the Tombstone, the Last Ride. I'll even get you old school. It's set up move, but I'll give you old school too. Okay, I, number yeah. three... Or number three would definitely be the last ride. It's cool, but it's a powerbomb variation, so that's pretty cool. Number two, absolutely the tombstone. Number one, only because I'm a MMA guy and I love like submission, like submission and wrestling type of grappling type of things. Both variations of the Hell's Gate. So that would be the original triangle choke that he used and the variation of the Gogo Plata that he used like later on in his career. So I think that would be number one right there. 
I didn't even know there was two different moves. I had mm -hmm. no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, last ride would be for me. Second, um, Hell's Gate. Let's see. Let me see. Last ride, second Hell's Gate, Tombstone. But I want to tie it. I have a tie with that. No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I got to really okay. think about that. Okay. If I were to say as like a signature slash finishing mm -hmm. move, I always liked it when that big six foot nine guy would run and jump over the top rope onto the outside. Uh, number yeah. two, I, I would I want to say the house gate, but I just feel like he took too long to get into it sometimes. So I'm gonna go with the last ride. But the number one, not the tombstone, but the jumping tombstone that he did on Shawn Michaels to like really put that exclamation point on Shawn Michaels' career. I love yeah. that yeah. that was the finish of the match. Like not just the tombstone, he jumped as high in the air, as high as he could with whole, yeah. while holding Shawn Michaels and then boom for that final nail in the coffin of Shawn Michaels' career. With an asterisk, because obviously that crown jewel match, whatever, super showdown. Legends rise. Whatever. Uh, mm. No love for choke slams. All right, that's cool. Um, so this I just thought the choke slams was so much was was always played with different different wrestlers was a choke slam like they yeah. tried to to make it like a Undertaker choke slam but and mm. they had their own identity with their choke slam so yeah with the choke slam I would associate that more with Kane more than anything and maybe the Big Show as well but yeah the Undertaker that's more like a signature move or the Hurricane sense. yeah yeah or the Hurricane yeah <laughs> Tegan, Tegan. greatest choke slam in the world the Hurricane. <laughs> Uh, I know they're saying uh, this is the final for Undertaker. There might be a match somewhere on the horizon. Mm. That aside, final question. If you had a chance to do one more match with the Undertaker, where is the venue? Where is the opponent? If you guys mentioned Bray Wyatt, but where is the venue? Uh, would you have this final match? If you were in charge of the book, if you will. Hmm. I would have it at Survivor Series 2020. Because that way it can be like the 30th year. And if it wasn't, obviously yeah, we're in a weird time right now. Um, I'd have it in Los Angeles. Not because I live here. Because that was the site of of the first uh, Mania at Mania 7. When the streak started against Jimmy Snuka at Los Angeles Sports Arena. So I'd have it the last match. Either that or the wherever Survivor Series 90 was. Which I think it was in Miami or Orlando. I could be wrong. Took a, took a word for it. <laughs> I would say, as far as the venues go, I would say anywhere in Texas, so maybe uh, Cowboy yeah. Stadium or maybe like somewhere down south, you know, hometown win would be totally cool or hometown loss. You know, he's definitely old school, so he, I'm more than I'm more than sure that to bet that he is going to go out on his back for his last match. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But or Madison Square Garden, because he did mention in the Doctor series as well that that place has, you know, a lot of resonance to him. Yeah. As far as just his last opponent, you know what? I wouldn't mind him s just because I want to see the striking battle. I think two opponents would be cool in my book. Would be One would be Aleister Black, and then the other one would be against uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. I think those two guys would be a really good exchange of just like strikes and just like really cool movesets right there. So either one of those two would be a definitely great match for him. I see the promo packages with Shinsuke, him mocking him, wearing the hat and everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. You said you said no sting, right? Damn. I mean, no. This question you can. It's up to you. The last question. Okay. Like, Who's his greatest rival? Yeah. Um. I mean, that is the dream match at WrestleMania in Madison Square Garden. It's funny you said that. 
uh, it would have been Undertaker versus Sting. However, reality for me, it would be Survivor Series. It would have been this year, San Antonio, Texas, Bray Wyatt. Okay. No, falls count everywhere. No, actually, Hell in the Cell. Mm. You would dare move Hell in the Cell away from the (laughs) Hell in the Cell (gasps) pay-per-view? I am. It's my show. I'm the boss. <laughs> I'll print a ticket to myself. Man, I, I want to thank you all for coming uh, to this retrospective of The Undertaker. And please, if you guys have the network, go back. There are a lot of hidden gems. We just barely scratched the surface on this monumental career with, I would say, one of the best characters in professional yeah. wrestling of all time. Uh, let me go around the room and ask, where can the world find you, George? I want to stalk you online. Yes. How do I do that? Mm-hmm. Well, first off, I want to say, because uh, I know there's so much to talk about it when it comes to Undertaker, his best theme song is that 99 or 98, 99 remix yes. that he did. The absolute yeah. best theme song. And number two, another thing to find on the network, because I yeah. remember uh, I talked about it with my friends all the time, when, when 94, when Undertaker was gone, and everybody was like, where's the Undertaker? And like there was like the Undertaker sightings, right? You see like the sandwich jelly guy. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm looking down. I'm making a sandwich and I'm making a little pastrami with a little bit of white food with mayonnaise and mustard and a cup. Oh my God, it was the Undertaker. Like it was just so, like, it was just watching back, just watch those early, you know, vignettes for Summer Summer 94. I'm all about that. But you can find me at GHERMOZ, G-H-E-R-M-O-Z on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the wrestling chatter. We talk about whatever, we like this kind of chatter where it's like, hey, we like to retrospect. We like to just reminisce. We like to pay tribute. I'm all about that. It's youtube.com slash the wrestling chatter. Yeah, Josh Alonzo. Uh, you guys can stalk me on the interwebs at uh, J-O-A-L-323. Yeah, yeah. Miss Cat is mad. <laughs> you guys can find me at Candy Pool on Twitter, at CandyMac82 on Insta. And you can also follow me at F-A-A-D Podcast on Twitter and Instagram for Forever and a Day, the audio soap opera. And of course, I'm Flobo Boys. I feel like me and the wrestling tip. Check me out on Draped and Gold, the NXT and NXT UK after show every Thursdays right here on this channel with my broadcast partner, Jack Farmer. Learn more at drapedingold.com. Until next time, rest in peace.